The following podcast may contain some adult language. You've been warned. Those of you who got an invite, welcome to NerdProm. <laughs> no matter where in the world you are, we're all NERDS International. With the hyphen. Hey, welcome to Finding the Narrative, a Genesis RPG podcast. This is a show dedicated to the Genesis role-playing system from Fantasy Flight Games, a show in which we, your hosts, discuss all things Genesis from both a player's and a GM's perspective. I am Tony Fanning, and with me, as always, my good friend and co-host, Chris Holmes. How you been, homie? Um, I've been pretty good. I've been trying to stay awake today because, you know, you had our asses up till 3 in the morning. 2 in the morning. It was, 3 in the it morning. Was a- it, it was, was a beautiful session. Awesome. Yes, it was. <laughs> and by the way, thank you, Jamie, you bastard, for canceling this morning. I must say, I've been gaming every day this week since Tuesday, <laughs> so it's been pretty glorious. I'm not gonna be able. I'm not gaming tomorrow night. So one of these weeks, I'm gonna do one game a week. <laughs> but that's only when my wife sat it down. So, <laughs> love you, honey, um, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> Melissa's off work for the next two weeks. I don't think I'm going to have any time to play at all. <laughs> I know. We love the significant others. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All right. Uh, so, so what do we got What we got for news, buddy? Well, we what we have for news is, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this before, Legend of the Five Rings. Ooh. Yes, of course, we all love have. It. It's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing on the Genesis front, but they have, um, incorporated some of the Genesis, some rules in it. I haven't really read the beta yet, but, Mm -hmm. um, they just announced, I think earlier this week, um, that they will be coming out with the core rulebook, the dice pack. Yes. New dice, everybody. I hear everybody grumbling out there already. Oh, we got to get new dice for it. Who cares? Go buy new dice. Dice are awesome. Uh, I don't ever grumble about buying dice. I love dice. <laughs> I know. I have so many around here. It's not even funny. <laughs> and if you're not a true role player until you, if somebody says, oh, I can't buy new dice, you can never, you know, you, you know, there, that's just too much dice. No, there's never too many dice. No such thing. Yeah, no such thing. And then um, the then they have they'll have a game master's kit, which will have an adventure in it. And if it's you know, and if it's anything like the game master kits that they put out for the Star Wars games, these adventure the adventures are going to be pretty awesome too. You know, I mean it's good stuff. Yep. And of course they're going to have the beta game or not beta the sorry, beginner game, the beginner box game too. And that's probably where I might start. In- you know those beginner games that they did for for. Um, uh, Star Wars, all f- what they do, four of them. They did, they did uh, yeah, they did them, yeah. Age of Rebellion, Force and Destiny, Edge of the Empire, and then they did one for The Force Awakens. Yep, all of those are beautiful. They come with beautiful yeah. maps. They mm-hmm. come with um, little character pogs. Yep. Um, they come with uh, a set of dice. Uh, mm-hmm. They come with pre-printed character folios that have uh, rules for advancement. Now they don't follow the same 100% core rules as the game. They're kind of refined uh easy versions of the rules yep but they're a great introduction to the game for people and so if you're looking to get into l5r that would be the way to do it yeah and they are um and for the money 
because those beginners beginner games are, I don't know, I think they're what twenty bucks, maybe twenty twenty nine dollars, twenty nine ninety nine usually. Yeah, and the maps. Well, I mean, you'll, you'll get a set of dice, mm-hmm. which are twelve bucks. And then you're gonna 15. get some or fifteen dollars, and then you're gonna get maps, which are gonna be another, you know, not, say nine ninety nine, right? So mm-hmm. there you go. That that just the maps and the dice that are and an adventure reusable. Yeah, the adventure on top of it. And these adventures walk you through not only playing the game, but GMing the game, too. Yep. And you do a good job of that. They're well-designed, usually. So, And then uh, the core rule book and all that, and they they said that's coming in the third quarter, was it? Is that what that was? Yeah, so I think that's probably going to be something that hits us around Gen Con, maybe that shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll probably have beginner game at least at Gen Con, uh, I'm thinking. I would Um, think so. And but uh, I'm sure we'll see it in stores probably in September. Yep, third quarter. It said third quarter, 2018. So, yep. So that'll be so third quarter is, you know, next month starts third <laughs> quarter, right? So yeah, sometime after Gen Con, I would think, or maybe they'll be selling them at Gen Con. Who knows? So in other news, I'm going to call an audible here. Cool. Uh, yours truly, I proposed to my fiance Melissa. Uh, yes. This past week, um, I'll, be getting, I'll be getting married next summer. Um, <laughs> so uh, she did say yes, <laughs> miraculously. You said, I, we, you said you said mold many many times too, right? <laughs> yeah, she said yes a lot. Um, awesome. So, all right, cool. Well, we've got some uh, listener feedback. We'll go over here real quick. And I'll start with this one from Eric Fair. Yes, he sent me. Uh, uh, first of all, he sent me a separate email explaining, or part of the email step explaining how to pronounce his name. Because last time he uh, emailed us, I pronounced it Ferrar, um, but it's actually Fair. So thank you, Eric, for correcting us on our uh, my pronunciation of your name. And uh, we'll move on to your message here. So it says, "Hey, first off, I wanted to say great job in explaining how talent creation works. I too have created class-based talents." To act as upgrades to base classes, i.e. the mage to druid, summoner, or cleric. Uh, paths, a passive talent, rank 2 or 3, depending on the class, and all it does is unlocks new knowledge, magic, or skills, depending on the change, <laughs> making these skills now career skills. Good stuff. I wanted to thank you for uh, pointing me in the direction of the Fallout conversion. Uh, I am working on putting it together still, but I plan on opening it up on Roll20.net when it is done. I also wanted to share my PDF character sheet templates with you guys, and we looked at those. Mm-hmm. And since I was curious, if I was curious if you think it is too simplified, or if you have any ideas on how to improve them, and we did, I give him that feedback privately. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just wanted to say thank you again, Eric, for emailing us, and um, yeah. Um, if you have talents you want the world to see, interwebs to see, put them up on the um, Fantasy Flight forums. People will uh, put in a few uh, cents worth, and, and it's usually good constructive criticism over there, as Chris and I have said before. Oh, yeah. Yep, very good. Yeah, yeah. good job on those on those um, character sheets. Definitely um, pretty neat. I love I the, like the pinwheel that he did for uh, the wounds and strain and uh, defense. And, and uh, soak. And so, yeah, yeah that, was, was, that was awesome. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I like that, too. I like that. Okay, so, um, and then also we got a message over on Facebook from Ricky Buxton. Uh, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, thanks for the shout-out and love for the Talents uh, Talents Expand team. Mm -hmm. We really do appreciate everyone enjoying it so much, and we do appreciate enjoying it so much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we really like that document. Great job. That's pretty awesome. Great episode recently, too. The talent talk was great. I should point out that a Tier 5 ranked talent can actually be taken multiple times at Tier 5. It's not worth the XP investment for most things, but like enduring or obviously dedication, it can definitely be worthwhile. Thank you for pointing that out. Chris and I missed that in our talent (laughs) conversation. Um, And so, yes, you can take... For instance, any talent that starts at rank three, four, or five that has ranks, you can continue to take it at rank five. It just each time is going to cost you what seventy five x seventy. Well, it's going to cost twenty five XP at the at the tier five level. But you but you've got to have a whole row of one, two, mm-hmm. and three and fours to get to it. So it's yep. about seventy five XP each time. <laughs> yep. So yeah, but if you're you know if you're one of those GMs that likes to run really long campaigns like me, where your characters end up with five to a five hundred to a thousand XP, you'll see several players with several rank five talents. Oh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yep. So, uh, me, I personally put a lot of when I when I get into high level characters, I have a ton of ranks and skills. Uh, that's just my personal thing. I like to mm-hmm. really branch out my skills and. Um, but uh, uh, talents, the the right ones chosen perfectly. I mean, mm-hmm. and the more talents right. you have, the more confusing it does get. As I've been figuring out, <laughs> <laughs> I think my I think my sniper in your Star Wars game has like nine talents, two or eleven talents. Two of them are passive. Everything else, I have I have to activate. Yeah, so. if you're a player that likes simple. Like for me, I love simple social characters, so I'll I'll bank in one or two social active talents, mm-hmm. but most of the rest of my talents are going to be passive, yeah, so I, I don't have to. I can put it in once and forget about it. Yeah, forget about <laughs> it. <laughs> exactly. So we have a title for today's episode. Um, yes, we do. We are going to be playing with some encounter foo. Oh, yeah, kind of a. L5R uh, theme kind of going on here. <laughs> and we're going to talk about, in the book of Genesis here in a minute, we're going to talk about uh, how to build encounters. Absolutely. All right, man. Let's get into it then. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the book of Genesis. Oh, ho, ho. So yes, everybody, open up your good book of Genesis to page three twenty nine. No, nope. under the nope two thirty nine. <laughs> dyslexia little, there. I, I, yeah, a little dyslexia going on there. Um, <laughs> under uh, the game master's toolkit, chapter three, building adventure. Um, there's constructing encounters um, section, which is a mm-hmm. good, uh, which is one and a little bit of page of goodness of encounter building goodness. So, when we're talking about an encounter, what do we mean, Tony? What are we talking about when we say encounter? Well, an encounter is simply that. It's a scene. It is a 
encapsulated part of the story, mm-hmm. whether it be a social encounter, whether it be a combat encounter. It's either structured or narrative. And um, mm-hmm. it is, and we've talked about both of those before, but we, there's also other kinds where there's contests, which yep. I, for the first time, got to run one last night that was kind of interesting. That Just one contested role, but it was it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, so encounters are what, it's how we build our story. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of, you can give your players background and you can give them handouts, but encounters is how you forward the narrative, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be through conflict physical or conflict social uh or even uh, an investigative encounter um yep should be like like your your skill challenges can be an encounter all on its own yeah your you know chases through a city um i was trying to think of others um now i also have a kind of encounter that i kind of encount i kind of count downtime encounter so oh, yeah. that would be the, that would be the downtime between encounters mm-hmm. uh, when the players are just role playing and things like that. I kind of count that as a down, and that's that's very narrative and free form, mm-hmm. as I did last night in my um, Realms of Terranoth game. Yep. Yeah, it was probably a, like a four hour period in game where the characters were all searching around these this rubble and this fallen tower, and the mage had summoned a a uh, earth mm-hmm. elemental to excavate the tower for you. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, your cat folk was off getting herself in trouble. <laughs> Little do we know our characters though. We as players are like, what the heck are you doing? Which is, I'm sure you, I'm sure that's not going to come up later in the adventure at all. Right, Tony? Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> I would never do such a thing. <laughs> never, ever, ever. Yeah, and these, um, and this is, and this is in the build and adventure section, which we'll, mm-hmm. we'll probably have. We'll have another show on building an adventure and stuff. So, you know, no, your number of encounters is what builds up an adventure. You know, whether it's going to be a a long running adventure, um, adventures, different adventures make up campaigns. You mm-hmm. know, that will last. You know, months or years or however long you want to do it. So, um, but we're. Specifically talking about building encounters today. And um, so when we are in an encounter, whether it's a combat encounter or a social encounter, um, we do have another question we want to ask ourselves. How many adversaries do we want to put per encounter? And is there a actual, um, what do you call it, codified suggestion? And actually, there kind of is on page, yeah. on page which is actually pretty cool, Three on page three. 240, 340. What am I doing here? I don't know. You oh, want well. this book to be bigger than it is, I think. Apparently. <laughs> so there's underneath the establishing adversary difficulty, you know, there's a nice table there that we'll talk about. Then um, there's some guidelines here how to establish the strengths of adversaries in an encounter. Um, right. And then there's some common encounter setups for a group of four PCs. So here's, let's go through these. So we sure. have. So we have four minions acting individually, and this says it's a good first encounter for brand new players. Now, um, typically when your minions act together, like four minions in a group, you're going to have three upgrades on their on the skills that are picked for that minion mm-hmm. group, and that's going to kind of, oh, that's going to hurt. So when they say acting individually, I believe what they're just saying is just take what? We're just taking the the um, their their attribute and not anything upgraded. Is that what we're talking about here? Uh, yeah, um, that can be. Yep. 
Like um, it's a great it. way. Like I said, it, it says here it's a great way to bring a, for a very first encounter. So yeah. I'm going to use my my Terranoth game as a good example. Sure. The very first fight you guys had, you were just dealing with um, between six players. Uh, we had what uh, eight cobalts? I think it was something like that. Uh, nine, nine. There were three groups of three, okay. but they were. Um, they were acting independently. They weren't upgrading their checks, so mm-hmm. they were all over the place. And mm-hmm. they um, still may have they still may have like a like a three agility, you know, to mm-hmm. throw stuff. So they're still throwing, you know, three three ability dice down, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the next one here? We have uh, two groups of minions. That's uh, three or four each in the minion groups. Uh, keep in mind that when you get your minion groups up over four, five, you're looking at uh, some really upgraded skill checks mm-hmm. when they do that because mm-hmm. every as we know uh, with um, which we haven't really talked about much on the adversary side of things but minions um, for every for every uh, additional minion past one in a group mm-hmm. uh, any skill that they have listed in their skill block upgrades right so when we you know we look at uh, the core rulebook and look at a minion in the core rulebook, which I think um, goblins are probably listed in there. I think under the the um, rune bound mm-hmm. section. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that so um, that second okay. minion. So that second minion in a group will upgrade. Say it's a it's a ranged attack, right? Mm-hmm. So what's so what is the agility of maybe a goblin? Probably three, or what yeah. we have there. Um, I can't recall. Yeah, so you would have you start off with your three, three green dice, and then that second minion will upgrade one of those. So it'll be um, one yellow, two green. That third minion will upgrade it to two yellow, one green, and then a fourth minion would make it three yellows. And you know, if anybody's been playing the game, <laughs> they're gonna be triumphant against you <laughs> more often yeah. than not, probably. Yeah. So mm-hmm. keep your minion groups to you know three or right. four, and. Right. Um, when a group, like it says here, in a group of four PCs, two minion groups of three to four each is a relatively um, challenging encounter. Yep. And, and then, then, um, and then, even a little more challenging encounter would be the next thing. It'd be one rival with one group of four minions. So that'd be mm-hmm. a that'd be a decent decent encounter. And that you know, and that rival may have adversary one. You may want to mm-hmm. think about just depending um, if you have more than four four pcs like if like say tony like we have six of us um you may throw a rival with um adversary one and maybe drop a second minion group for like six pcs in that case or you know um and that that minion group doesn't necessarily have to be exactly four i could have two minion groups of three and that would be a relatively challenging encounter and then during and then during the encounter you gms and dms out there (laughs) yeah i say dm you all know that um when you do have multiple minion groups, when they start dropping minions, no reason they can't form back up into your three, a group of four. You know what I mean? So um, you just don't regroup. have the one. Yeah, regroup. If there's just one minion left in a group and then you have your th- your minion group of three down to two, boom, just put them together on their turn. They just kind of move together and start moving. Um, that's one way of keeping it easier on you. And still making it a little more challenging for the characters, too. Sure. Mm-hmm. Next step up, you're going to want uh, – you could do three rivals. Now, mm-hmm. three rivals against a group of four players 
is pretty challenging. Um, in my case, I have done against my groups of six and eight. I usually will have uh, four to five um, rivals. Well, wow. uh, and <laughs> that's that is a challenging. If you have a, a party of six players fighting five rivals, they're going to have their hands full. Yeah. Because they'll only be able to double up on somebody once. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's really, really where your rivals suffer is when they get can get uh, doubled up on. Yeah. Yep. And then another, um, and then crank it up. Let's crank that difficulty up. I think we're at about eight or nine right now. Um, mm-hmm. One nemesis with two groups of minion, two, two groups of minions, probably of three or four each. This mm-hmm. is a difficult encounter for four PCs. It will be because that 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 nemesis will be, you know, it'll have wounds, it'll have strain, and it'll more than likely have adversary two on it. I would think. Um, so you're all everybody's going to be upgrading checks twice mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And if not, remember to put adversary two on your on your nemesis there. And if or keep does, a sticky note stuck to your computer that says adversary, adversary, adversary on it. Yep, as Tony reminding just you to use me, it. As Tony just showed me in Skype yet again. <laughs> yep. All right. How about this last one, buddy? Uh, last one is one. This is when you're going to use for an encounter. When you're like, this is your your big boss fight. Yep. This is so your big boss fight is going to have one nemesis, one rival, and one group of five minions. Wow, dude, five minions. Five minions. Yeah, they're going to whittle that minion. They're going to either want to whittle that minion group up, uh, or or quick, or that minion group is going to chew them up. And your players will want to focus on the nemesis. They always do. They always want to focus on the big bad, mm-hmm. but that minion group of five will chew your players to pieces. Yeah, with their skill upgrades. As long as I mean, if, as long as they have a decent weapon or attack type, if they have like a very weak attack, then yeah, they're not gonna not gonna do a lot to your players. But yeah, um, and another note, uh, there's a, some notes on above that on on when you're creating your. Um, Adversaries. The difficulty of them? Yeah, I see that. Yeah, yeah using the following guidelines help establish the strength of your adversaries. Cool. Uh, individual challenging opponent. An adversary, usually a rival or a nemesis, should have an attack, uh, should have attack skills and defenses comparable with, or to or slightly higher than the PC's skills or defenses. Yeah, don't make your nemesis um, for a small encounter with uh six ranks in something um six or six um yeah six ranks in strength mm-hmm. uh brawn excuse me jeez i'm still i'm going back to D <laughs> terms. um six ranks in brawn and then give him five ranks in melee heavy and a bunch of other stuff that he has i mean that's just overkill mm-hmm. um, it just only needs to be slightly higher than the pcs right and, and then you can also give them a wound threshold twice as high as an individual PC. So a lot of my nemesis, um, you'll see my nemesis is almost always have their wound thresholds in their 20s. And then their strain yep. threshold will be in the mid-teens. Yep. Uh, so, so they'll have strain slightly more than a player. And they'll have uh, about double what a player would have in, in, um, in wounds. In wounds. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you, a slight change in even the soak value does yes. number does 
does a tremendous amount of um, difficulty up or down, right? I mean, if you take a soak off or if you add a soak, it'll it'll add up. That one point will add up. <clears throat> Consider that a lot of average weapons are going to be right around the um, four to six damage. Mm-hmm. So if you're giving an enemy, uh, a nemesis, a soak of six, yeah, it's going to be really hard for your players to damage it. Mm-hmm. And if they and, do, when they do succeed, it might be one, maybe two points beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just things to keep in mind. And yep. then um, it says here about what does it say about if your PCs are outnumbered? So if they're outnumbered, <clears throat> you want to um, you want to use your rivals and um, your minions with your combat skills and defenses that are about one or two ability dice lower than the PC's skills and defenses. Um, okay. So in that, so in that, um, what do you call it? In one of these groups down here, if you have, if you have your three rivals or, or um, a rival with a couple groups of four minions, you know that's going to be nine out there. But you have your PCs that probably be four of four PCs. Yeah, you want might want them to be a little lower, like it says here. <clears throat> and then okay. for advanced PCs. Yeah, and advanced player characters. That's uh, characters when your characters start getting above 150 uh, earned XP and into the 300. That's basically you know that's an advanced character. Mm-hmm. Uh, 150 to 300. You're going to want to a increase the combat skills of any NPCs um, by one yep. than what you would normally have. Uh, you want to add one more minion to your group types, uh, like we listed below, where it says it recommends three minions add a fourth one where it recommends five minions add a sixth one. Um, That's still nasty. (laughs) And increase their wound thresholds. Nothing wrong with adding five wounds uh, to, to an enemy. If you want that encounter to last a little longer Uh, and you'll get a feel for this over time. I've, uh, it took me a while um, running the star Wars system before I started to kind of get a feel for, because Mm -hmm. like a, unlike certain D shift seven D system where you have an an encounter balance math that you have to do. You don't have that in Genesis. What you have is what feels good to you as a GM. You might have an encounter that your players blow through. And I've had this happen where you have given them challenging uh, villains and they chewed them to pieces in two rounds yeah. And you barely damaged your players. That's just the way the dice rolled. There's nothing wrong with that. Let them have those wins. Mm-hmm. Because there's going to be encounters where you throw a lowly nemesis at them <laughs> that isn't all that bad, but that guy all of a sudden has the environment on his on in his favor mm-hmm. and your GM dice start rolling like mad and your players can't hit the broadside of a barn and suddenly they're looking at a retreat from a simple nemesis that they could have defeated in one or two rounds. Exactly. <laughs> like like last night, didn't we have a couple of def- we had we had, a, <laughs> we had a couple of despairs come up right in a row. Three despairs in a row. <laughs> Three rolls in a row. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So you mentioned the environment there, Tony. Yes. And um, other than adding hit points, sorry, D Shift oh, 7D talk, wounds, wounds is, I must say. And wounds skills, is. And the, <laughs> wounds is. And then the number of these um, opponents that we have, we can spice up these encounters mm-hmm. even better. And there is a 
neat little table here. Table three, um, and a three dash one elements contributing to encounter difficulty. Let's okay. go through this. So we've got like four categories here. You said mm-hmm. the environment. Well, go ahead. What, yep. do we, what, what do you mean? What do we mean by an environment? So the weather conditions, lighting level, cover, mm-hmm. uh, things like difficult terrain. Um, if your players are fighting in a pit of rubble, they're not going to have an easy time maneuvering around the battlefield. No. And and if you provide them with a an adversary that has flight, suddenly the PCs can't move around, but the the enemy can. So yeah. take a look at advantages that not only the players can use, but also that your NPCs can use. Absolutely. Um, monsters that can see in the dark and players that can't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, weather conditions that would include rain and fog, um, nothing. Or snow, icy, icy rocks. If you're up in a mountain, like in, if you're in a mountain pass, you know, the mm-hmm. ground will be slippery. You know, there are times where you do, ah, you're traveling through the mountains. Very rarely do I, do I get a sense that, oh yeah, I'm, you know, like in, in Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got them going through the mountain pass and if you get, if you attack those, them there with something on the side of the mountain that'd be that's gonna be nasty except for you know if you have like a legolas kind of character that's just walking on the the snow who cares right right Mm -hmm. right yeah you know there was something that popped in my brain here as well about the environment but then it popped back out i was gonna mention something oh well um would it involve cover or uh oh that's what it was that's what it was so last night came up would you use is there a way to use advantage when you roll initiative? Well, I've read, I've listened to this podcast called the um, Dice for Brains podcast before. It's a Star Wars mm-hmm. based one, and what they've done, and what I've I've even done too at times, is when you roll initiative, right? And there's that you know you have your successes and your advantage. Maybe somebody rolls a triumph. Um, what this guy had done was say, hey, pick something in environment, add something to the environment, basically add to the narrative. Mm, there's a tree stump nearby that I can use for cover. Yes, exactly. Those kinds of things. That you know, and though you may have a picture of what this encounter looks like in your brain when you've created it as a, as as a as a GM, um, bringing your characters that your players in, immersing them. If I would be so bold as to use that word, um, immerse, trigger word, trigger yes, word, trigger <laughs> word. Exactly. Um, that will paint a picture in their minds as well, and they're contributing, and they'll be able to contribute to the narrative, too. So, um, yeah, that's what I wanted to throw out. That's what it is. Ah, not a problem, dude. Yeah. That's a good audible. So uh, then the next category is uh, bystanders. What do we do there? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, this is your, this is your, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, ugh. Anyways, these are like your people that are around your crowds. Like if you're in a market square or whatever, and a fight breaks out, mm-hmm. are your are your player characters gonna be murder hobos and just just start you know blasting everybody around, or are they going to worry about that those little kids that are off to the side and shield them and move them out of the way? It does give them um, what do you call it? It does give more choices to the players to make. Whether mm-hmm. they're more moral choices or not, um, and then you know you have you know human shields out there. Um, and it, 
it gives also something for your social characters to do in combat. Having crowds, yes. mm-hmm. now you have crowds that have an opinion on what's going on. Are they going to be an adversary? Are they going to be an ally that the players can use? Here's where your social character can shine in combat. He can mm-hmm. convince these innocent bystanders, oh, help us turn over this cart so we can create cover or, um, you know, uh, rush that set of guards so that we can get away, you know, or, or, oh, quick, we got to get out of here because there's a mangry mob three streets back. (laughs) (laughs) Or it might, or it might be an opportunity for you as the, uh, as a GM to kind of flip it on the players. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe a few people are, you know, maybe a few of those um, market, you know, market vendors have Uzis underneath their register and start pulling those out and join the fight right in the middle. Hey, that would be a perfect time and way to spend a spend a despair. If one of your player characters roll a, rolls a despair, you know what? This uh this uh butcher over here, actually he's been paying his protection money and now you're coming in here shooting up his store. You know, he's going to pull out a he's going to pull out a shotgun. And um, by the way, his young son, that's probably six and a half feet tall, has two meat cleavers that are coming after you now, too. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know. Very nice. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. no, that's cool. And, you know, also, you can also turn the social side to your benefit as a GM. If you have a very charismatic leader villain, yep. they can be convincing the innocent bystanders that the characters are the ones acting villainous and nothing will scare your characters more quickly than all of a sudden the whole room looking at them like they're the villains (laughs) (laughs) oh crap we need to get out of here (laughs) you know you know i just watched the john wick movies last week and at the end of at the end of like the second one where he just he does a little whistle and everybody in that square stops Mm -hmm. wouldn't that kind of have your player character drop a load in their pants. Oh like, yeah. What the hell? Everybody <laughs> here. Yeah, so that'd be kinda cool. Alright, our next okay. one. What's our next adversaries. one? Adversaries. So how yeah. many adversaries and of which type are in the encounter? How skilled are they? Their soak values, the yeah. damage values. That's what we talked about already. Yep. That's um and, and, equipment. And, and, no, but, the, but I did not mention equipment, and that's yeah. the part that yeah, their weapons and their special equipment. Again, nothing will scare your PCs more than um, your big bad adversary. <laughs> they just hit him for 10 wounds and ha ha ha. They just took away half of his wounds and all of a sudden he opens up his jacket and he's got freaking just a coat full of freaking healing potions. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and then his buddy comes around uh, comes around the, uh, the corner and actually has to use gunnery. To shoot his weapon and talk about pucker power. <laughs> there, I mean, woo. Yep. nothing like uh, special equipment in the uh, villain's hands. Anything the player can have, an adversary can have. So, uh-huh. uh, and also though, keep that in mind. Anything your adversaries do have, your players will have afterwards, right. because they're going to loot the corpses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so don't put anything out there that you don't necessarily want them to have right away. But, you know, it is fair. If you use something against them, they'll be able to use it against you. And uh, the yeah, thing is... Over and over <laughs> and over. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, exactly. And vice versa. So if you have one of those players out there that min-maxes the crap out of their characters and starts figuring out how to put on, a, like, a weighted head on a, on a big-ass hammer and, and eventually gets, like, a 13 to his base damage... You know, pretty soon that player player will probably see an adversary with even a bigger hammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, and then right, somebody's Cody? gonna put the hammer down. 
right, Tony? I think yeah, I just maybe. gave an idea. Yeah, everybody. If you didn't catch that, my character is the one with the big ass hammer. Yep, couldn't Chris was talking about himself. Couldn't, couldn't hit shit last night, though. But anyway, yeah. <clears throat> uh, exits and entrances. Well, how do yes. those work? Well, how those would work would be, um, it's actually a good way to have, quote unquote, reoccurring bad guys. At some mm-hmm. point, um, you'll want to make sure there are entrances and exits to the encounter, you know, for um, adversaries to join the battle, for the PCs to leave, you know, or whatever, um, how easy they are to access. And then, um, hey, you know, are these markets, is this market square? Are all these other um, people closing off the exits and mm-hmm. blocking the PCs in there? Those kinds of things you may want to think about. Um, yeah. Okay, then the fifth one here is kind of listed under the mechanical breakdown, and that's pacing. Um, okay. Yeah, pacing, I'm sorry, I'm calling an audible here, but under the mechanical breakdown yep. here on this page, it talks about, uh, um, you know, how do you build, the, the for the game mechanics a standpoint, um, uh, building an adventure is a matter of the PC's resource management. You're basically, you know, their wounds, their strain, their once per session abilities, their um, their critical injuries that they attain. These are things that you're you know you you want to make them have to manage these things. Mm-hmm. If your encounter isn't making them manage them, why did you make the why not make the encounter a little stronger? Right. Um, so that's one way to tell you that you're doing it too weak. If they don't end up with any wounds at the end of the battle, you make it stronger it. next time. Yeah, you didn't yep. do it right. <laughs> um, but another thing you can do is pacing. So one thing you do at the end of any uh, combat encounter is you roll cool or discipline to recover strain. Well, their characters don't normally roll but, but between one and four successes um, as an average. So you're and maybe between you know zero and five advantage. So they're really only going to ever recover about six strain tops. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see the average normally is between two and four uh, of what they uh, recover at the end of an encounter. <laughs> and if you have like, for instance, a medic or a healer in the group, that that player is going to need downtime to heal between encounters if you space the encounters in a way that they are rapid succession without time for recover recovery you can build a lot of tension and stress for following encounters so each encounter that they've had previously that they didn't get to fully recover from makes each additional encounter after that more difficult so that's where pacing comes into the the uh, considerations for encounter difficulty yep absolutely well said bud well said okay so uh, yeah and that's a tool you use very rarely by the way it's something that the players will get very frustrated with if you do too often so um, moving on to the next section um how many encounters in an adventure well um actually i didn't really read this part too well Mm. because it's more of the adventure part but um Let's see what it says here. It says a complete one-session one adventure works well with two major encounters, two or three quicker encounters. Then a long adventure, typically six to nine encounters. That seems like a lot with three yeah. or four major scenes and such. So, And as you, as you play, as you 
see kind of what the pacing is that your players and your group, you know, mileage may vary, you know, on groups. Some some of them are slow. I've, I've been, I've played um, three hours once where they didn't even get in through the front door, you know, <laughs> of the dungeon, right? So it, it, it'll happen, right? And mm-hmm. you just got to, you just got to roll with it. Yep. Players. And, and, and it, there's uh your players may want to go in un- unintended directions and things like that. So mm-hmm. you, better to implant, uh, encounter, um, in one of my, we're going to go over our personal tips here. Um, sure. have a couple of well, little modular encounters handy oh, yeah. for, so that you can throw them if they go in an odd direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so Leah, let's get into our little personal tips. Uh, how about I, uh, I, I throw one up and you throw one up. Sounds good to me. Okay. Go for it. So, uh, well, our first one, uh, since we both had the same one, yeah. Uh, personal tip: set an encounter goal. Absolutely, and the reason why—I mean, you had sent these show notes out, and you have great ones here. But I tried to add on, basically, add on to your list there. So yeah, and I completely agree. You need an encounter goal. What does the encounter? What do you put it in there for? Because mm-hmm. random, random. Um, encounters eh, kind of a waste of time oops that was my number three sorry that's okay that's okay <laughs> um there's uh so so let's so let's do let's do an example an example of an encounter goal would be what okay um so your players need to get into a dungeon mm-hmm. well they don't even know where the dungeon is so you can set up an encounter where they try to find a map there you go. There's your goal. Mm-hmm. Get the map. Now, that can be a social encounter. That could be a contest. That could be a combat encounter. That could be an investigation where they find someone who has it and then steal it from them. Exactly. So it can lead to a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of awesomeness. And that covers my second one, which okay. is plan for multiple ways for the PCs to achieve the goal. Mm-hmm. So. Your goal needs to be broad enough that they could achieve it in multiple ways. Prime example, they need this map to find where this dungeon is, where this hidden MacGuffin stick is deep within the dungeon. Okay, well, the map is in the hands of a thieves' guild uh, under the city. Yeah. It's in their vault. Okay, now... You've created an encounter, and whose hands it's in. That doesn't mean the players can't go and try and negotiate with the Thieves' Guild. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the players can't just murder Hobo their way down into the Thieves' Guild and kill them all on the way through. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that your players couldn't try to outsmart the Thieves and go steal from the Thieves. <sighs> yeah, multiple ways to achieve <laughs> That's right. Right. That's right. That's awesome. Okay. So my second one here... Um, kind of goes into the kind of is linked to the first one is uh to the goal is is the encounter truly needed and if so why you know you could create a bunch of encounters in your brain but will is it is it really needed and if it is needed there's got to be a reason for it to add to the narrative or else you're just stringing along um encounter after encounter encounter that really might not have much substance behind it but if you do have that goal 
you'll have a reason for it, and that'll give it more substance and make it more more rememberable, actually, I would think. <clears throat> and if you've created this cool encounter that um, mm-hmm. that doesn't uh, that, that doesn't fit, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with taking that and tucking it away inside your little GM's folder somewhere and saving it as a modular encounter. Exactly. That's and that's one. that's one of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I use I have these um, moleskins. I keep I probably have five or six of them, mm-hmm. and I keep one for each uh, genre of game or campaign that I run. And in them, when I'm bored at work or when I'm bored at home, I jot down encounter ideas. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those end up being modular encounters. Yep. It's it, with a goal and uh, an idea of who has the item that they're searching for or who mm-hmm. is opposing the players. Mm-hmm. You can come up with just a broad encounter yeah. that can be plugged in at any time. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to, it doesn't, yeah, like Tony said, it doesn't necessarily have to be fleshed out at that moment. Just ideas, just write down the ideas. And I remember listening to the Order 66 podcast years ago, a few mm-hmm. years ago, then they talked about something called the GM's Toolkit. Um, GM Holocron, I think that's what GM they call Holocron. it. GM Holocron, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. GM Holocron. That's basically what we're talking about here. You have an encounter, you have a set piece. You know, um, where is it going to be set? And you don't even really have to know where it's set at. And if you have those ideas, jot them down. Yep. Yep. And then What's my, next? My next one is a, well, I just mentioned that random encounters are a waste most of the time. Um, because it's basically, <clears throat> if it's a last minute session you're throwing together and <laughs> you, you, your group just wants the game, Random encounters are could be a good choice at that point. But one random encounter is all you need. Yeah, I would think so. Um, one random encounter at any given time is all you need. Just throw a MacGuffin in the uh, random encounter, and voila, your players yeah. will create their own adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what? You can even, and the thing is, what's really most important, I believe, in all of this, GMs and DMs, all of you out there, star masters, if you're playing in space, um, listen to your players. Listen to those offhanded comments that they make, whether they're joking or not. It's on their brain. And sometimes you can, I'm not saying throw it back at them, but there are, you could pick up and it, sometimes the story will just write itself, to be honest with oh, you. Oh, yes. Listening to them as they banter amongst themselves. That's why I encourage my players to role play. I'm looking for things that get the players interested in the story mm-hmm. I'm creating and get them interested in the story they want. Yes. And I'm looking for those little hooks in their conversations. You know, yep. my cat folk who talks about how she's curious all the time. Oh, really? Well, your player hasn't really been playing that. Well, let's give you the chance to do that. Now you're wandering these ruins and no one else is around to watch you. You don't have your friends watching your back constantly. Yes, okay? everybody. I'm shaking my head right now as he's talking. I know. After <laughs> <laughs> last night, it's pretty awesome stuff. It's pretty awesome. Um, so, yep. yeah. Okay. Um, and then my next one. Um, uh, use. Okay. So this is all part of the uh, modular encounter thing. Um I'll do the two of them together. Use unique locations 
and mix up the range bands. So what those two mean is unique locations. Okay, we've all been, I guarantee just about every one of us has been in, a, if we've ever played a modern game or a sci-fi game, you've done a train heist. Um, yep. Okay, but Han Solo's movie gave us, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, ignore everything I say for the next two minutes. It gave us a train that worked like no other. It moved like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And suddenly that that uh, the train heist is slightly different. That's a unique location. Mm-hmm. That's a unique type of train. Right. Um, I'm seeing it, what, I, what, I, what I was looking at during that, that section, I'm like, oh shit, Chewie failed his athletics his coordination check. <laughs> and then, and then Han is like he gets a triumph, right? And like you know, I mean, it's one of those things where you, where all of a sudden, just a simple thing of just turning that train to the, you know, tilting it over sideways and mm-hmm. making an athletics check right in the middle of the combat. What the mm-hmm. hell? I mean, that's yep. good stuff, man. That's good. That's a unique location. The top mm-hmm. of a skyscraper, the um, the mm-hmm. uh, the bottom of the ocean, the um outside of a space station in spacesuits um yep there are a a million different ways to slice an encounter you can come up with a unique location Mm -hmm. for your encounter to occur and what i mean by unique is like chris said it has an environmental condition that affects combat yeah it has uh that is gold for a gm using locations like that um yes your characters can always fight in a tavern okay <laughs> yep. if you want your characters to get into a bar brawl in a tavern that is wonderful but what if it's a tavern that is three miles away from an exploding volcano yeah. and everyone wants to get out of the bar where the fight is happening because it's raining lava <laughs> I'm just go. saying. Yeah, that'd be unique. <laughs> All right, what do you got next, yeah. bud? What do I have next? I am. Um, I actually mentioned it in our mm-hmm. uh, up above. Is uh, plan for a bad guy escape, just in case it feels like a good recurring bad guy. Now, if you do this all the time with your players, they will get pissed. I'll tell you that right now. I want to yeah. be able to kill the bad guy. Every once in uh, most of the time, but when it is feeling like, oh man, like if you're doing, if you're doing, if st- it, and you just have, it just have, when I say feels like a good recurring bad guy, all of you GMs and DMs out there know what I'm talking about. When a, when a combat is going, is becoming one of those once in a gaming lifetime encounters where you, it is going to be very rememberable, Right. You might want mm. that bad guy to escape. Or Bring your villain was so... Inc- just He annoyed the PCs yes. so much with his <laughs> actions and his... Yes. That is the way um, I, I, I once had... Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to... I had a an illithid, a mind flare when I played D-Shift 7D mm-hmm. um, that um, it mocked the players <laughs> as it was just walking all over them in one encounter and got away. And for the rest of that campaign, he would appear and mock them 
and disappear. And by the end of that campaign, the the villain had gotten beat up so many times for them. I had to create him as a lich. <laughs> and he was uh, an illithid lich that this was their arch nemesis at the end of it all. And when they finally killed that guy, they stood up and cheered. And there was a freaking damn near a party held at my table because they were just so excited as after a six, seven month campaign, they finally got to freaking kill that guy. So yeah, it, it makes for very memorable moments. Yeah. And it, and it only takes, it only takes a moment or two just to think about how, how your bad guy could escape. Like, like we had said, you know, exits and, and entries into the encounter and whatnot. And if, if there isn't one, if there, if you didn't build one in the encounter and you find that is happening, I have only done this twice. And I discussed this the other night when I did it the second time on my star Wars game the other night, mm-hmm. I have only done it twice in all the years I've been running star Wars and Genesis flip a story point. Yep. Flip a GM story point and say, all right, I'm flipping a GM story point and my villain is getting away. Yep. And here's how it's going to happen. And yeah, you kind of take away a little bit of the player agency. Oh, they don't get a chance to kill him or they don't get a chance to see where he went or anything like that. But when you bring him back later and they get to take him out, they'll appreciate it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we were like, what, what? And, you know, it's one of those things. If you haven't experienced the whole recurring bad guy thing before, oh, it does. It makes it makes it memorable for sure. For sure. Yep. And, and, and come up with a good reason for it. Like I said, I've only yeah. done it. I've run this I'm, I, over maybe 200 separate nights of adventuring. I've mm-hmm. done it twice. <laughs> yeah, and once was a few days ago. Yeah, you don't want to so, do it all the time. Very rarely it, should you do something like that. And yeah, so um, what you got next, uh, next I have use cliches. Use cliches. So yeah, um, and so the the Weasley little wizard that you know can't breathe very well and is weak, and then he has this big burly dumb fighter that's with him. Those are cliches. We all know mm-hmm. those cliches. We see them, but the, Lance. use, <laughs> use them a few times yeah. and then turn them on their head. Mm-hmm. So, uh, contradict the cliche. So they're going to see this wiry guy and think, Oh, here's another wiry wizard. You know, <laughs> this guy's okay. I'm going to send my fighter forward. He's going to beat the piss out of that guy. So he can't cast spells. All of a sudden in Genesis, this wiry wizard pulls out daggers and just starts stabbing them at freaking massively fast speed before the guy can even attack. And all of a sudden, this is a really agile melee fighter as well as being a wizard. Uh-oh. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now you're now your big burly fighter that uh, you sent forward to punch the mage in the face so he couldn't cast spells is now sitting with a bunch of pinholes in him because mm-hmm. – yeah, you 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 played to a cliche several times and then flip it, contradict it. Cool, I like that. I like that a lot. Now, what if that? What if that? What if that wiry wizard? Mm-hmm. Dagger stabby McStab guy was um, I don't know, cousin 
of the PC of one of your PCs in the group. Ah, uh, you know, personal a personal connection to the PC. If you can, I mean, mm. I I tend if if you if you if you're creating a long campaign, right? Um, for one shots, not so much probably. Um, maybe even a, a short adventure that's gonna last maybe. You know, a couple of gaming uh, gaming months. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not. But if it's going to be a longer thing, what I try to do is I try and create a personal connection. Pick a PC in a group, and if you've had your players roll uh, uh, write backgrounds for your characters, or if you've been listening to them talk over the course of the campaign, and they throw out tidbits. Oh, I want to go see my cousin. Wonder what he's up to. Oh, you know, he's become a stabby McStab wizard dude now, you know, who's kind of pissed that you left the family and you haven't mm-hmm. been back for a while or something like that. Um, make it, make it, make an encounter or a series of it or, or, or like maybe an adventure relatable to, to a PC in the group. And again, be a little more memorable. Um, oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that tavern that the cliche that you would use, like Tony said, um, that tavern owner, um, you know, that your PCs meet in, you know, the tavern that you meet in and the, in the tavern, you make a memorable NPC there and they end up leaving and going on adventure. And they come back to this town and this tavern's burned. They might want to figure out what the hell happened. And there's a, could be a personal connection there with them. Um, you know, Hey, they need to find out the murderer who murdered this, this bartender. If you create a lovable NPC that your players love, yeah, make bad things happen to that NPC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a great hook. <laughs> yeah, they, and that's basically what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, that's that's about that's all that I had on my list. Yeah, and I, I, the last two I have are really kind of go together, and that is mix up your encounters. So uh, mix up your encounters with social uh, skill challenges. Uh, contests, okay. Uh, so uh, and and fights. So you've got a combat encounter. Okay, a fight in a bar. Well, what if instead of a fight in a bar, it becomes a dance off in a bar <laughs> against rival band, um, or uh, or or it's a skill challenge where the players, you know, a, an investigative encounter. A lot of times is a skill challenge where your players are trying to get something done, a a mission, and they have all these little bits and pieces where you have six or seven different skills that they can roll, create a skill challenge, give them a certain number of successes before they get a certain number of failed, um, uh, checks and have them, you know, go around the table until they do that. And then if they fail, have consequences, have a goal, have consequences. Uh, if they succeed, they got the goal. If they fail, Here's the consequences. And then, you know, like I said, social encounters, uh, those happen so very rarely do social social combats happen. A lot of GMs are shy away from them. Yeah. Um, uh, all of these, mix them up. Don't just have all combat encounters. Because if you have all combat encounters, uh, you're going to be murder hobos and you're going to be bored after a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, uh, maybe not. Maybe, maybe your players just love combat and they hate social encounters. Uh, okay. So still throw them, throw them a bone once in a while and, you know, give them four combat encounters in a row, but then stick it to them a little bit and give them a, a, a contest where they have to, they can't fight their way through it. They have to win a race or they have to um, arm wrestle. <laughs> right. Or when they finally got to the end of the dungeon and they killed the big bad. Yeah. And then the little thief grabs the idol. Uh-oh. 
it's collapsing. There's a there's a oh, you need to get out of the dungeon before it collapses on you and this big ball rolls you over, right? Hey, that's a skill challenge right there. Skill challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff, great stuff. So, cool. yeah, that's our little tips on how to make your encounters mm-hmm. um, better and memorable. Yeah, hopefully um, so, hopefully that, that helped you all a bit. And, you know, drop us a line, send us an email, contact Tony on Facebook, and he'll let me know. Um, if <laughs> any memorable encounters or, you know, tell us, a, tell, write us an email, tell us about a story of a recurring bad guy that you guys created. Yeah, um, if I'll challenge you guys. Help. If you send us 10 emails... <laughs> Not not each. No, no. <laughs> but a total of ten. We'll make a show just for reading the email. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> of your cool encounters that you've done in the past. Absolutely, so. let's do it. There you go, everybody. Right. So All the, right, ten so or the, more. So ten the ten. More. Of, so the ten of you listening out there, damn it! <laughs> each one of you got to send us an email. Or all five of you write two. Or, I don't yes, care. Or the five. <laughs> sorry, the five of you that are out there listening to it, write two. Come on. <laughs> all right. All right, so shall we set the tone? Let's set the tone, bud. So for setting the tone, I would like to hmm? for us to sit down and design a memorable encounter in our settings. Absolutely. Let's do this. Okay. You want to go so, first or you want me to go first? Uh, how about I go first? Go for it. Okay. Um, so the Middle Earth setting I'm working on, mm-hmm. and you mentioned it earlier, Mountain Pass. So I had yeah. that same thought as uh, I was um, thinking of our show notes the other day. I'm thinking, okay, so there was that scene where they were going through the mountain pass and snow was coming down and there's this freaking storm. and Yeah. What if they were attacked during that? Okay, so now you have a frozen mountain pass. It is thunder snowing. Mm-hmm. There is an evil voice on the wind. And you are pinned in by orcs, Gundabad orcs on one side, and Gundabad bats flying in and trying to pick the players up off the mountain and throw them off the mountain. Oh, that is, so, uh, first off, mean, but <laughs> as mean as it is, it's cool. <laughs> it's as cool, too. So what I have is um, basically three minion groups here. Okay. Okay. Um, and those minion groups would be a minion group of orcs at the beginning of the pass, or on one end of the players, uh, the top of the pass beginning of uh, another minion group of orcs at the bottom of the pass mm-hmm. and then i would have a a minion group of bats uh trying to pick them off now in this case the the consequences of the and of course my goal my goal for the players is for them to get through the pass without any of them dying Mm-hmm. Okay, and so this is a modular encounter can be plugged in anywhere through a mountain travel. Yep. I can set this aside and not use it ever, or I can have it when my players decide to pass through some mountains. Ha ha! Here we go. Yep. All right. So I let's say my players are. This is a probably if I'm thinking it's going to fall in the middle of a campaign somewhere, I'm probably going to have moderately uh, uh, XP characters. So I would probably 
have my orcs be probably groups of four. Okay. Making groups of four uh, on either side of the party, and they have them pinned in. So not only do they have them uh, on a mountain pass where I have slippery conditions, I have snow, I have lightning, mm-hmm. I have – they also have superior ground. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're also affected by the snow and the lightning and things like that too. So my, my minion group of bats – the consequences of what happens if a bat succeeds <laughs> yes. are really dastardly. So my minion group of bats is only two. Two, two bats. Two bats. I'm going to get them. Nice. So that way it's an easier group to take out, yep. but they have flight so they can get away yep. um, in between making dives to take out mm-hmm. players. So so would you have that. those? So would you even? In, in, yeah, I mean, you could do you could do that. Have two bats. You can also have a group of three that only attack every other round. That well, is maybe that you could do, or, or a group of four that only attacks every other round. Mm-hmm. Good, good call. So, uh, and th- that's because they're wheeling around and they're having problems yeah. with the wind and the snow too. I mean, bats yep. don't handle snow well. No. Um, so that's a great example of um, model. Mod- if I designed it with four bats and I'm finding my p- characters are having problems. Yeah. The wind picks up and I give the bats a, a, a problem too. Right. So now they can't attack every round. They can yeah. attack every other round. Sure. Um, so that's a way to stay, you know, modulate the difficult modulate. That's a way to um, <laughs> modify the difficulty mm-hmm. on the fly um, based on where your PCs are at. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I was thinking. And again, all I had for notes here, mountain pass battle with good to bad orcs and bats. But now I have that's, I wrote that down and then I fleshed it out. Now I just got to go find my minions, uh, the three minion groups appropriately give them, um, weapons. Now, if all the orcs have bows, that's going to cause problems for the players because they I mean, they can, they get them in a crossfire. Yeah. Not good. So maybe only one orc minion group has bows and they're sitting mm-hmm. up further up the pass and they're the ones firing down the pass at the players. Yep. And then the other minion group, they have axes. Okay. So that's a way special equipment can come into it. Yep. Um, and then, of course, with my bats, uh, I want to make sure that they're pretty agile, so they have a great range defense, but I don't want them to have a lot of soak um, because yeah. I want them to be quick to be taken out but hard to hit. Yep. So um, on top of the fact that you're going to have snow in the way causing all kinds of problems, you're going to—they're also their range defense is going to be pretty high. So Good. there you have it. There's my encounter. Very How about nice. you, Chris? Very nice. Okay, well, really, the only thing that I have written down, which was the other day when I sent mm-hmm. you the notes back, was in Primeval Thule, my setting, which is a um, a setting that is a Conan-esque kind of setting meets Cthulhu in a low magic, low fantasy, gritty system. Um, I have written here, Slaver Negotiation as a social combat skill and a skill challenge um and i hadn't thought about it until right now 
because kind of going to do this on the fly here. So there is a um, there is a main city in in Primeval Thule. Can't remember the name of it. That is basically it's where a lot of the slave trade goes. And my concept here was the group was sent to do some sort of negotiation. Now, whether it's to free slaves, whether it's to purchase slaves on behalf of somebody, I don't know about that. Um, but if I would maybe it's to, to maybe it's to find a specific slave. Maybe it is to find a specific slave and to maybe go purchase this specific slave for yes, I like that for a um, for a noble in another city. You know, maybe his daughter was captured. He knows where she's at, and he's given them range, free range to go buy her for him. But don't really know that it's for him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's up to them. That's up to them. So I made it. I'm thinking of us making this a skill challenge because there are probably multiple stages to this. Meaning, they'll need to have to find the slaver, mm-hmm. right? They will need to have to get an audience with this slaver. And then they would actually have to do the negotiation itself with the slaver. Now, this could be, I'm thinking maybe this could be a couple of, this could be a couple of um, encounters. You know, getting there um, is, is a big encounter, like doing the investigation to get there and getting in. And then that whole negotiation scene might just be round zero. <laughs> Very potential to have a round zero. So mm-hmm. um, there. Um, but that's that's kind of what I came up with. Um, and I haven't so, really thought about a whole lot of else, but I'm thinking the slaver will be a nemesis. Okay. With a group of, um, with a group of bodyguards. Maybe a pair of bodyguards. So maybe there's two rivals in the room there at the end you know in that final negotiation and then mm-hmm. as as they're moving through you just come up with various skill challenges now when we do skill challenges um tony refresh me on how we would do a skill challenge so you would uh, determine how many total successes you want your party to roll before uh yep. they succeed at the skill challenge yeah. and a lot of times what i'll do is that is usually that number is um if there's a nemesis involved half of his strain Okay. Um, you can uh, get get that is a good round number for so a, an a, a nemesis, like I said, mid teens for good nemesis mm-hmm. for um, for six their strain. Six between six and eight successes. Yeah. So this is an average one. It's an easy yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you want to you want them to have a certain number of successes before they have a certain number of failed checks. Yep. So um, uh, that's usually two to four failed checks um depending on how challenging you want to make the encounter uh so um yeah that's a great way to do a skill challenge another thing you can throw in there also um maybe instead of having all the guards be rivals you could have all the guards be minions and have an actual rival buyer in the room oh i actually like that somebody who is somebody who's trying to purchase this slave as well as yes. Well. Oh, I like it. Which so now you have your you have this end uh, battle like it shows in on page two forty where mm-hmm. you have your nemesis, one rival, 
and one group of five minions. So you have your uh, nemesis, which yeah, is the slaver himself, his five minions, which are his guards, yep. and then one rival, which is this rival purchaser who is trying to buy the slave away that you're trying to buy for nefarious means. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you've cre- you've created an encounter, and you can do it as a social uh, social combat. You could do it as a combat combat. You could just leave it open and let the players do it the way they want to, for based on their style. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I like that. All right, I like it, dude. See, and there we go. It's just that simple, everybody. Yeah, nothing wrong with having a partner you can bounce your ideas off of too. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. All right. Yeah, yeah. If you know if you know fellow GMs out there that uh, that that talk, bounce your ideas off them. Um, they yep. they will give you fuel for your fire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they will. because so. I'll tell you, GMs, DMs, we're the we're the most. We can be some of the most nastiest bastards when it comes to somebody else's campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. Hey guys, how do I handle this situation? My players, I hear. Bleh. Kill him, fuck him, do him, whatever. <laughs> Make sure they fall in the lava, you bastards. Throw their baby in with them. <laughs> I don't think I've heard that one, but still, yeah. Oh, sorry. That might have been me. I don't remember. <laughs> All right. So we uh, we just set the tone in each of our settings there. So uh, if you guys have any memorable encounters as well that you've come up with on the fly, you five people, make that one of the two emails you send. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Excellent. All right. Let's go. Let's move on then, bud. We know okay. what's coming next. I bet just threats coming up. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Hey everybody, welcome to our favorite part of the show, Advantageous Threats. Yay! Um, Yay! And there was much rejoicing. Yay! (laughs) Okay, buddy. Alright, so my character today, we have Semwick, the halfling rogue assassin, Mm -hmm. has just been poisoned by a rival assassin during a knife fight. <laughs> cool. Semwick has about six wounds and four strain left. Okay. And needs to make a daunting resilience check, or he's going to suffer eight wounds and eight strain from, yes, everybody, everybody's saying, that's the serpent dagger from Realms of Tirnoth. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got this dagger in his gut, <laughs> and it's definitely a roll he needs to make here. Oh, crap, i got to get my dice out. Shit. Um... So <laughs> I, I'm doing that too, but I'm on mute. <laughs> I'm not on mute. There's all my dice, everybody. Yep, all three sets of them. Um, all right. So his resilience check. Um, well, first off, you know, Semrick, he's a halfling. He put one. He kind of got his brawn up to a two. Um, he's got a one point in resilience because you know all thieves have to be able to suffer their own. Be able to be immune to their poison a little bit. But, you know, he knew he was going to go try and take out his rival. So he drank an immunity elixir before he started. So, my brawn of two for a resilience check. And he's got a resilience of one. So that's going to be one one proficiency die and one ability die. However, this immunity elixir allows him to upgrade 
resilience checks versus poison twice. So cool. that green goes to a yellow, and he gets to add another green. Now, <laughs> daunting check here is four purple. Yeah. So that's where we're starting with. Um, Tony, I'm going to be using a story point here. Okay. For Semwick, because this um, this rival assassin of his actually was the one that murdered his minion, his his mentor. So, gotcha. Uh, he's very um, he wants to make this check, and hopefully he won't die. What do you have okay. for me? Well, um, I have the fact that the <laughs> dagger is still in your gut. <laughs> Damn it, you noticed that, did you? (laughs) So, it's just pumping this magical poison. Or no, sorry. Yeah, because it's magical, isn't it? The serpent Uh, dagger? I believe it is. Yeah, it's a magical weapon. So, it's pumping this magical poison into you. So, I'm going to flip a story point and upgrade that. But I'm also going to provide a setback die. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, it's it's in you. (laughs) Yeah, it's still in me. Yeah, so so I'm picturing this fight going, and he's got it like you know we're like face to face, you know, kind of how how in the movies you know they're just chest to chest almost, and you then you see one of the guy's eyes just kind of go, oh, wide. yep, that's Semwick. <laughs> His eyes just right. went are going wide. All right, all right. So there's my pool: three yellow, one red, three purple, and a black. Um, let's hope the odds are forever in my favor. They usually are. We'll see. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, first off, it's going to be a failure. Ooh. He fails. He totally fails. So we've got four. We have two failures. Mm-hmm. And. <laughs> okay. Two failures with one advantage. That's it? That's your net? That is my net, bud. Where'd your advantage come from? Where's the last advantage at? That advantage came from one of my proficient, well, all three proficiency dice. Right. So, um, but maybe it was from the upgraded one. So the advantage comes from his hatred of this guy. Yes. Yeah. Let's say that. Okay. So Mm. with your, okay. So this is going to put you down. Yeah, yeah. So he's gonna take eight wounds, four strain. He's gonna be two over his wound threshold and four over his strain threshold. So, what would you like to do with your advantage? Well, I have an idea. Um, as a GM, yeah, well, I would just, suggest. Sure, go ahead, throw it out there. Because at this point, I'm still stunned as a player that <laughs> my backling <laughs> is gonna die. Right, See, and in 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 this case, I would suggest. Um, that you feign death when you go down. There we go. You pretend to be dead because you know that you can come back and strike the guy at another time. Yeah. Your hatred drives you to just, okay, just, he's got me this time. I'm going to pretend to die so he'll yeah. think I'm dead and leave me for dead. Sweet. I like that. So the advantage allows me to maybe make a make a, make a bluff check. Sorry, not bluff. What are we, what are we talking about? Deception. Deception. Yeah. The next round, when he goes to retrieve his dagger out of your gut, <laughs> so, yes, exactly. He looks down and thinks you're dead. So yes, yeah. he does. 
Well, and it's something. He, that's he, something. He might or might not, depending on how well my roll goes next session <laughs> or next All round, right. which we might do. Which we might. We, stay tuned, everybody. <laughs> this might be continued <laughs> next episode. We'll see. <laughs> All right. All right. So I've got um, uh, given our uh, our entitled this episode. I, I I went with an Oriental theme because well I'm a big fan of L5R and because mm-hmm. you mentioned it at the beginning of the show you got me thinking about playing <laughs> L5R. That so, is true. So mine is my character Satsuke Isawa or Isawa Satsuki. Sorry, I last name first um, okay. is trying to defeat a rival samurai in a contest of agility. By negotiating an obstacle course with a small pebble balanced on our foreheads while our hands are tied behind our backs. <laughs> we are both down three strain and need at least, at least three successes to win the race through the obstacle course. Okay. Uh, we are each at two successes and are on the last leg of the course. So Sweet. So in this case... The, uh, the GM has set the difficulty of the obstacle course with your hands tied behind your back and balancing mm-hmm. a pebble on your forehead yep. as being a four difficulty or a daunting challenge. So this is a negotiation so check? No, just kidding. You're <laughs> negotiating the obstacle course? I'm sorry. That's dumb. <laughs> no, this would be a coordination, coordination. check. Yep. So I have uh, for, uh, for Satsuke here, uh, he would have a um, – a four green, uh, four agility, and two ranks in coordination cool. for a grand total of two green, two yellow, and four purple dice. So during this contest of agility, your uh, would would the um, GM be rolling the coordination checks for the rival samurai as well? Yes, and we would be trying to achieve more successes than each more other. More successes. So do you um, want me to build a pool as well? Yes. Okay, cool. That's so and narratively, mm-hmm. I'm not going to because we're doing this as a as a pose check, as a rival check, mm-hmm. narratively, instead of spending a story point to upgrade my check, I'm going to spend a story point to upgrade the difficulty of your check nice. because I am trying to actively knock you down while you do it. And <laughs> as we're doing the last leg of the course, I'm going to purposefully bump into you. Nice. I like that. That's a, um, that's pretty good, dude. That is pretty good. So do you want me to use the same, what you have here for agility to coordination? Sure, sure, if you would like, or whatever you think the NPC should have. <clears throat> well, let's say he's not as coordinated, or she. Okay. What were going to say she's not as coordinated as you? Okay. All right. And um, I'm thinking that this, um, this rival samurai has grown up with a bunch of brothers. Okay. Okay. And these, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend a story point to increase the s- success of this check that the okay. rival will get, will make. Okay. Cool. So, what, what is, what is her pool then? Her pool looks like it's three yellow, a red, and three purple. What's yours? Excellent. Uh, it's the standard two yellow, two green, and. To, uh, four purple. Four purple. What is the um, what is the um, conditions? Oh, is it a rainy day? 
Oh, you know, it would be cool to have a very muddy obstacle course. Let's, yeah, let's throw a setback die in for rain. Let's do that. Okay. Anything else there? Do we have do we have hecklers? Do we have people throwing shit at us? Or is this <laughs> a, a more of an honorable contest? <laughs> well, it we was honorable until I yeah until I tried to knock you over. <laughs> All right, man. But. All right, let's go. All right, I'll roll two. One, two, three. Roll them. Oh shit! I think you're gonna like this. <laughs> Okay. Um, first of all, um, well, my net is going to be one failure, one threat. Um, well, I didn't do so good. <laughs> I have, um, let me see. I have zero failures, one advantage, however... I have a despair. Okay. As well. So you have zero successes or failures. So yep. I, so I failed worse than you. Okay. But Fail my role, my role was slightly better because all I had was a threat. Yeah, I had one. Um, I had one advantage. Okay. No, actually, so, no, no, no. Holy crap! I had one advantage. I have two failures. Sorry. I was ma- I was matching the two failures. Okay, so we had tied on t- number of uh, fi- uh sorry. Uh, I had one less failure than you. Yes. yes you I did. only had one net failure, one net threat. Okay, so we both failed. Mm-hmm. We do not complete the course. We both crash into the mud. Um obviously. Yep. What you're the GM here. Yep. So you tell me um first you tell me what the effect is. I think the effect here would be um, because I'm going to say the despair is it actually well, it's my despair to use. Oh, it's your oh, that's right, it is your despair to use. You get to use your advantage I, I and advantage. tell me what failure means. That's all. Okay, well, what failure what failure means is um, you don't complete the obstacle course, like you said. Um, okay. It the, the so the contest of agility. Hasn't been completed yet. Okay. And the advantage here that I'm going to use is um, maybe her pebble is still balanced on her forehead. Okay. Even after crashing into the ground. And so my threat is that mine fell off? Yeah, okay, that works. That could work. Okay. I'm going to have her despair be that the daimyo who made us, the, the, the lord that made us do this contest... Uh-huh. saw the two of us collide, but he interpreted it that she was the one trying to knock me over. That's what I was going to say. Yes, definitely. I Yep, I think so. And it's by default there. It's um, your contest. You won because he deems it so. Because she cheated. She, because she acted dishonorably, but she knows she didn't. Yep. So now I've created a recurring NPC that Chris can come back at me with later. Absolutely, I can <laughs> and will. Because <laughs> she'll have a grudge against me. Yep. Because I behaved dishonorably, but I made it look like it was her. That's right. Now, this isn't anything that would make her commit Harry Carey or anything like that. <laughs> but no. it certainly pisses her off to the point where, um, yeah, you'll see her again later in the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet, nice. dude. That's awesome. That was an excellent one. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, yeah that's how good. you do an opposed check, folks, uh, or a rival check 
for a contest. Um, yeah. You both set a uh, GM sets a standard difficulty, whether it's between two PCs or two NPCs. Your GM sets a standard difficulty. You determine what the result of the failure or success would be. The GM determines that, and then narratively the outcome of everything else. Right. And whoever has the better role would be determined as the winner, even yeah. if it's a failed check. Yeah. Yep. It's just one you failed less than the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. When they count up the dice right. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's all good. Anyways, okay, cool. All right, let's um let's go end this thing then. Yeah. All right. Alright everybody, that's our show for the night. Come on, send in those emails. Come on, we have some hooks out there for you people if you were listening closely. Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) yeah, so let's shout out to the Mythic Gadgeteer by Eli Kurtz. There was a... Gadgeteer. What'd I say? You said Gadgeteer. (laughs) Sorry, Mythic Gazetteer. (laughs) <laughs> Though there probably is some gadgeteers in there too, maybe in the setting. Yeah. Anyways, there was a Kickstarter last year that that they put out for the Blackwood Entry 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 <laughs> Codex for Savage Worlds. It's available now. It's a um, I'd love to play in this, man. Um, it's a fantasy setting inspired by folklore and high flying martial arts action. Woosha! Woosha! That's right. It's Grim Tales meets Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's The Witcher meets Kung Fu Hustle. It's Iron Monkey meets Brotherhood of the Wolf. That's cool. Damn, I have Great not seen that movie in forever. I gotta go watch <laughs> Brotherhood of the Wolf. So you can find that out on Drive Through RPG. Um, he's been interviewed on uh, Wild Eye and the, RP- the uh, RPG Brewery. He who? Well. Because I interrupted you when you were saying his name. Oh, sorry, Eli Kurtz. Yeah. Um, he also has. Hi, Eli. Hey, what's up, Eli? Um, you can find him at uh, um, mythicgadgeteer.com. Get, did I say gadgeteer again? Damn it. Mythicgadgeteer. Do you want to re-record this whole segment? No, this is just perfectly fine. Um, this is good stuff. At Twitter, at Twitter, at ZapDynamic. And then he's got a Google Plus page out there. All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude. I love busting your chops. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. And also, we want to shout out to uh, something coming up that we're going to be involved in. I am running a Genesis game um, at Nerds International Virtual Con 2 coming September 15th and 16th. Nice. Uh, I have uh, a game. I don't even know if it's full yet. But I am running a game. Um, I, there was a there was a Kickstarter out there for a board game called Deep Madness, Ooh. and uh, it's a Cthulhu esque game that takes place in a underwater um, uh, mining facility, deep sea mining facility, Ooh. and I am writing an adventure in that. And I am calling it Deep Man Madness, and I am writing that for Genesis, and I will be running that on Saturday night, Saturday the 15th. Uh, I haven't decided whether I'm going to run a second game um, that weekend, but I might. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, there's lots of good games to be had out there. There's m- more Genesis. I know uh, uh, someone's running Terranoth. Uh, I think Jamie was possibly going to run his Deadlands Genesis. Um mm-hmm. 
I think there's probably, uh, at this point, more Genesis games than Savage Worlds games. <laughs> I'm just saying, Savage Worlds. SWK? Mm-hmm. Hashtag SWK? What? Savage Worlds GMs, where are you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're probably Damn it, just, i got to get in on that then, but I believe that's the weekend I game with my face-to-face all. group. <laughs> yeah, um, so that can be found. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but that can be found at um, the uh, Nerds International Virtual Convention at WordPress.com, uh, uh, where you can sign up to run games and sign up to play them. Cool. Rock on, All right, so, so uh, that also tonight. means... Huh? Yeah, oh, yeah. Great show Fun, dude. Yeah, so you can uh, contact us at findingthenarrativepodcast at gmail.com. Send your 10 emails, please. Yeah. Um, uh, finding the narrative on Facebook, you can uh, message me over there. I'll uh, screenshot it and send it to Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finding the narrative on in the Nerds International Network on G+. Great group of people over there, and yep. we're always over there uh, busting each other's balls, posting weird memes about each other, um, mm-hmm. and and having a good time. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, a whole a whole group of good nerds out there, oh, yeah. and uh, and then of course listening to us on Podbean, iTunes, and you can listen to us on YouTube also. That's right. Yeah. So, well, thanks for listening, that's everybody. That's it. That was our that's our encounter. Foo. So join us in two weeks when we discuss adversary creation. And I do believe we may have a special guest on. We may. We may. All right. Stay so tuned. This- <laughs> so this is Tony saying, keep rolling them bones. And this is Chris saying, remember the rule of cool and just have fun, everybody. Good night. Good night. Finding a Narrative podcast is not affiliated with or endorsed by any companies mentioned on the show. Any of the products mentioned on our show or appear on our website are the property and copyright of their respected owners. All items are used under fair use and educational and review purposes. All other items are the intellectual property of Finding a Narrative podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.